You are listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene, online at bethanynaz.org. Well, good morning. You know, sometimes when you preach, you feel like that you want to try to begin with like some uh, story or maybe a question that kind of meets you where you are and kind of brings you into what we're talking about that day. But then there are other days when, when that you don't feel like you really need to do that. And, and today would be an example of one of those days. Because today I want to talk to you about what Jesus said about lust. So I've already got you, right? You're with me. So there's many you know, ways that lust manifests itself in our, itself in our lives. Uh, there's lust for power and there is lust for money. But Jesus is specifically talking about lust and a sexual nature. In Matthew chapter 5. And so the tension that we have is this. That God created all of us, you, me, every one of us, with sexual desire. That is a gift from God. It's nothing to be ashamed of. It's something that God gave us and intended us to fulfill. The tension comes, however, when we distort view our view of that sexual desire and we use it in a way that God did not intend us to use it. And so that's the tension that we, that we live with. Let me, let, me, let me just say this before we read the passage together, okay? When Jesus talks about lust, this conversation is in this larger conversation about the kingdom of God. Jesus says the kingdom of God is at hand. And so the coming of the kingdom of God ushered in through the life and ministry of Jesus is about an invitation to participate in this other kind of life. That we might be empowered. And one of the aspects of that empowerment is that we do not have to be controlled by sexual temptation. And so let me, let me kind of unfold all that for you as we move along. Matthew 5, okay, Matthew 5, verse 27. Matthew 5, verse 27. So here are the words of Jesus. Now, you've heard it was said that you should not commit adultery. But I tell you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. And then Jesus says, If your right eye causes you to stumble, gouge it out. Throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than your whole body be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to stumble, cut it off. Throw it away. It is better for you to lose one part of your body than for your whole body to go into hell. So we're in a series called A Life Well Lived. And as we work our way through the Sermon on the Mount, this is the passage we're at today. And, and I believe God is going to speak to us faithfully through His Word today. So you guys know what this week is, right? This weekend, everybody on track there it's valentine's day on saturday guys valent valentine's day guys saturday saturday okay i've already asked annette if she would be mine she told me she would get back to me on that <laughs> no she said yes and i'm so grateful 
I was trying to think about uh, a story that I had read back a few months ago, um, and I found it, just started digging around, and it was about um, a lady named Helen and her husband named Kenneth. And they lived in a small town in Ohio, and after 70 years of marriage, they were still holding hands together during breakfast. I commend them for that, but that seems a little awkward to me. Um, do you mind? I kind of need to cut my sausage. and, and uh, Deeply in love people, uh, neat, neat aspects about their lives. They, they, they never slept apart until three years before they died. And one time they were on a ferry, and it was only twin beds, and so they slept in the twin bed together because they did not want to ever sleep apart from each other. Kind of a neat story, love story, huh? In their retirement years, they saw all 50 states via bus. Kenneth said you couldn't see the sights as you went if you were traveling in a plane. And so they did all of those kinds of things together. They were inseparable. They taught Sunday school together at the Little Methodist Church where they were a part of all of their lives. And their kids, eight kids said, we knew that when one died, the other one would go soon because they could not stand to be apart. And so Helen died one evening and Kenneth died the next morning. So... I think that's a picture of love. In fact, as Annette and I continue to get not as young, that, that looks more and more appealing to me as a picture of love. And so I guess there's a lot of other pictures or images that people have of love. So let me, let me share another picture that some people might have. Uh, I suppose a lot of people this weekend are going to, this coming weekend, are going to celebrate Valentine's Day by going to the film version of the book Fifty Shades of Grey. An erotic romance novel noted for its explicit sex scenes and varied sexual practices. A now three-volume series that has sold over a hundred million copies, the fastest-selling paperback of all time in the United Kingdom, now translated into 52 different languages, and it hits the theaters this weekend. And the advertisement that I saw for Fifty Shades of Grey said, the movie Fifty Shades of Grey is almost here with its innumerable sex scenes. And then here we all are. trying to somehow find sexual wholeness in a society where sexuality has been so distorted. And my assumption is that most of you, most of you who are showing up at church on Sunday morning would say, yes, I'm interested in sexual wholeness. But the tension that I live with every day is this society where sexuality has been so terribly distorted, sometimes I don't know what to think or do. And in the midst of our lives, the living Word of God speaks. Not not what used to be the Word of God, not what is still, not what is, you know, solid, but that which is liquid and moving and alive and speaking into our lives every day. Through the Word of God, Jesus speaks to us this morning. And here's what He says. You heard it was said, didn't you, by people long ago that you should not commit adultery. Now, he's quoting, obviously, one of the Ten Commandments. So I guess it's pretty important if it makes it into the top ten list, right? How important was the Seventh Commandment that you should not commit adultery? Well, let me tell you how important it was. 
Leviticus chapter 20 says that if a man is caught committing adultery with another man's wife, the two of them shall be put to death. So I guess that was pretty serious. They, they, they didn't always carry that out. It kind of progressed to the point where they finally were only putting the woman caught in adultery to death. And then finally men begin to say, well, if I'm not having sex with another man's wife, so maybe paying for prostitution, that really isn't breaking the law. And so it fell back into this rationalization. And it's what I hear today. Here's what I hear today. Hey, Rick, look, look, buddy, okay? I, I'm, I'm only looking, all right? I'm not touching. Nothing wrong with looking. Is there anything wrong with looking? I don't think so. Uh, I'm just entertaining some thoughts, okay? Uh, I'm looking and I'm thinking, but I'm not touching. I'm not doing anything. I'm just looking and thinking. Nothing wrong with looking and thinking last I checked. And Jesus says, no, there is a lot wrong with looking and thinking. You have heard it was said that you should not commit adultery. But I say to you that if a man looks at a woman lustfully, he has already in his heart committed adultery with her. So what is this looking lustfully all about? It's not the first look because I can't help the first look. I mean, I saw it. I didn't mean to see it maybe. I I saw it's there. So what do you do with the first look? You can't be held accountable for the first look, right? Uh, Boy, I just looked around and, whoa, there it was. My goodness, alive. It's the second look, and it's the third look, and it's the fourth look, and it's the continued looking. It's it's the deliberate look to stimulate desire. It's when I come to the place that I objectify another person. I begin to see parts instead of humanity. For gratification. Jesus' words are not difficult to understand. Um, he's not making it hard for us to get the point. Um, what he's doing is he's alluding to actually the tenth commandment, and he says, "You shall not covet," which means desire. Right? You should not desire what your neighbor's your neighbor's what your neighbor's wife, for heaven's sakes. Or your neighbor's donkey, or your neighbor's cart, or your neighbor's ox, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. So we have said every every time that we have been preaching in this series, uh, simply this, that God gave the law to the Israelites, and the law was very important to them, and rightfully so, because God gave them the law. The temptation always, when you have a set of rules, is that you can can kind of uh, reduce that to moralism. So in other words, it's like this. Well, if I just keep the law, then God can't have any, you know, grievance with me, right? I mean, if I just keep the rules and if I do what He says and don't do what He says I should not do, then I'm okay, right? The problem with that is that we sometimes, when that becomes our goal, is we miss the intent of the law or the spirit of the law or the motive behind the law. And so you might say this morning, hey, I have never, never, never committed adultery, all right? I wear that as a badge of honor. I take pride in that. I can stand up and say, never committed adultery right here, buddy. Never done it. But Jesus is saying, but you lust in your heart. And you look at pornography. And you flirt. Don't you understand that you've already done this same thing? You've broken the commandment in your heart. So when you look at Jesus' teaching... 
There is no way in the world, no way that anybody could say there is anything right with lust or pornography. Because the only purpose in pornography is to create an opportunity for lust. And Jesus says, if you lust after a woman, you've already committed adultery with her in your heart. So, we've, we've taken a few minutes here and we've looked at Jesus' strong words. Now, let's, let's talk for a few minutes about, about what Jesus says that you should do in regard to all of this, okay? So, what, what do we do? So, so here we go. What, what if you went to visit a church and you were thinking about attending that church? Not, not that you would ever leave this church, but, but you had to move away. And when you moved away, it was just too far to commute. And so you go looking for a church, all right? And, and when you get to, to that, that church, you, you, you're greeted by a guy at the door. And so you reach out to shake hands, but you realize he has no hand, all right? And, and you kind of feel bad in your heart about that. And you realize, oh, his hand's missing. Shake hands with his left hand. But as you begin to move on through the church, you realize that there's other men who are missing right hands. And some guys are missing eyes. In fact, most of the men in the church are either missing an eye or a hand. I I got a feeling that at some point you would make a decision pretty early on, I don't know that I want to really attend this church. Especially if you're a guy, because I value my hand and my eye. I don't want to lose it. So, so is that what Jesus was saying in the Scripture a moment ago? Was He saying, you know, that, hey, 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 you know, if, if your right eye offends you, then gouge it out, throw it away. If your right hand makes you stumble, cut it off, cast it away. Better, you know, than to lose your whole body into hell, that's for sure. Well, Jesus is actually speaking in hyperbole. You know what hyperbole is. If I have told you once, I've told you a million times. Well, I've not told you a million times. That's hyperbole, right? It's an extreme exaggeration to make a point. I'm so hungry, I think I could eat a horse. Number one, I don't think I would like the taste of horse. And number two, that would be a lot to eat. Nobody could eat a horse. It's hyperbole. Extreme exaggeration. And so Jesus makes this extreme exaggeration to make a point. But the point that He's making is really clear. Go to any length. Any length that you have to go to so that your life is not dominated, that you're not living under the control of sexual temptation. Because the problem is not your eye. And the problem is not your hand. The problem is your heart. On another occasion, Jesus said, sexual immorality. He makes a whole list, and in the list is sexual immorality. Sexual immorality comes from the heart. And it's out of the overflow of the heart that the mouth speaks. You see, our actions, I don't like like this, I don't even like saying this. Our actions are a reflection of our hearts. Why do I do this? Because I love to do this. Because in my heart I want to do this. Why do I say some of the things I say? Because it's in my heart to say those things. Our actions are only reflections of what's in our hearts. So, here's the good news. 
this greater conversation that Jesus is involved in regarding the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is not about keeping rules. It's not about checking the list and saying, I didn't do any of that today and I did all of this today, so God and I should be good. The kingdom of God is about transformation. And with the kingdom of God being at hand, ushered in by the life and ministry of Jesus, He is now saying, come, I invite you to partake and to participate in this other kind of life that's now been made available for you. And accompanied with that is great power that you can live according to the intent and the motive behind all the laws of God. See, when I got saved... When you became a Christian, it did not mean that at that point you no longer have to be deliberate about your actions. You can just stop. No, it's the opposite. It's now that you're empowered to be deliberate about your actions and your thoughts and your behavior. So, you know, I think that it's easy to think this way. So when you become a Christian, why don't they do something, you know, special like... um, Wave some kind of wand or maybe like throw some dust at you or, um, you know, uh, something. Put some oil somewhere and, and just kind of fix you in regard to all of this sexual struggle. I mean, if you really love Jesus, shouldn't all that just go away? It's kind of that way of thinking, verse empowerment kind of thinking. And the fact is you don't get fixed. And there is no wand and no dust and no oil. But you are empowered. And what's even better is that you continue to enjoy the sexual desire and find ways to fulfill that that is in line with God's will. And that is a great life to live. But while you get to enjoy all of that, you have the power to say, I will not be controlled by sexual temptation. I'm not talking about repressing. I hate that kind of language. I hear people who argue that and it just frustrates me. I'm not talking about just repressing all of your sexual energy and then one of these days it just all has got to go somewhere. No. It's about saying my life is about being something, uh, being about something greater than just being controlled by sexual temptation and living like animals live. It's about participating in the very life of God Himself. It's about this other kind of life that Jesus has made possible for me to be a part of and participate in. Okay, so let's, let's talk about why, why it's important to listen to Jesus' teaching, and then I'll, I'll be done. Um, so, I, I, I don't know what you hear uh, when you hear Jesus' words. Uh, do you hear a mad Jesus or do you hear a, a passionate and compassionate Jesus? So, so in other words, you hear Jesus saying, um, Don't you realize if you lust after a woman, you've already committed adultery with her, her heart, you sex-crazed, you know, loser? Think about something else, will you? No, that's not Jesus. Jesus is... All love. And, and I think it sounds more like this. Don't, don't you understand when you lust after a woman that you've already committed adultery with her in your heart? Jesus understands things. Don't, 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 you, realize, don't you realize that 
that, that it's not good for any relationship? Don't you realize this is damaging to a marriage? Don't you understand comparisons start taking place? Don't you understand that lust is never satisfied? This is a never-ending journey you will get on. Lust will never say, hey, that's enough. I'm fed, I'm full, I'm good. No more for me. The more you feed it, the more it demands. It always wants more and it will never be filled. I think Jesus is saying, don't you understand? Don't you understand that this is a path that always leads somewhere? And that place it leads is always negative. Where do, you, where do you think adultery started? It had to start with lust. Where do you think sex addiction started? It had to start with lust. I think, I think Jesus is wanting us to know, don't you understand, that it changes you. It changes you. Some of the best words that I can share you th- with you this morning are by A.W. Tozer. Here's what he says. We are all in the process of becoming. We have already moved from what we were to what we are. And we are now moving to what we shall be. You're in the process of becoming. You are, you are, you are, I am. And we've already moved from what we were, you remember when you were that? To, to what you are now. And now we are moving to what we shall be. He says the issue is not that we are becoming. But what are we becoming? Not that we are moving, but toward what are we moving? And then he says this. Not only are we in the process of becoming... We are becoming what we love. Not only are we in the process of becoming, but we are becoming what we love. We are, to a large degree, the sum of our loves. And we will grow into the image of what we love most. Our loves changes molds and transforms us. And so what if I love Jesus? Then is Tozer saying that I will become like Jesus? But what if I love lust and the sensual? And what do I become? What we love is therefore no small matter to be taken lightly. It is of present critical and everlasting importance. It is prophetic of our future. It tells us what we shall be. And so predicts accurately our eternal destiny. Loving the wrong objects twists and deforms the life and makes it impossible for that life to image our Lord Jesus Christ. 
It's a compassionate heart saying, when I dream about you, I have bigger dreams for you than that. You remember we started the series with chapter 7, the very end of the Sermon on the Mount, where Jesus says, whoever listens to these words of mine, but does not put them into practice, is like a man who built his house on sand. And the storms came, and the winds blew, and the waters rose, and the house fell with a great crash. And Jesus is saying, if you do not put these words of mine into practice, even my words about lust, you are building your life on something that will not stand. You know, it's kind of simple in a way. It's that I, I choose to Utilize the power that is available to me. And so I say, yeah, the first look, I couldn't help you, right? But by the power that is given to me, I can say, I refuse to take the second look, or the third look, or the fourth look. And the first thought, it just kind of hit me from nowhere, you're right. But I have the power to say, you're not camping out in my mind. you got to go. Because I don't have to take the second thought. You say, Rick, doesn't that seem really binding to you? Doesn't that seem... No, it's the opposite. It's liberating. Jesus is not talking about a list of rules. He's talking about this whole other way of living. To the point that I don't have to live under the control of sexual temptation. So let me, let me just finish. Um, the book that people are studying as we work through this series is called Good and Beautiful Life by James Bryan Smith. And I think the most troubling thing that I read in James Bryan Smith this week in the chapter that small groups and classes are studying this week together was just that he said some people really don't want to change. They're frustrated with the consequences of their sin. But they truly love what they're doing. And they love nursing this relationship with lust. And the truth is, there's people who don't want to change it. But let me just take a moment and talk to people who do. There is this other kind of life that Jesus makes available to us. And one of the aspects of the empowerment of that life is to not be controlled by sexual temptation. We have a group here called Celebrate Recovery. And Celebrate Recovery meets every Tuesday night at 6.30. And, and, it's, and it's everybody. It's teenagers, it's college students, it's young adults, it's mid-adults, it's senior adults. And, and they're dealing with all kinds of stuff. Any kind of habit that they deal with in their life or addiction, any kind of hurt from the past that they have been dealing with, any kind of hang-up in their life like anger or recovering from divorce or, or, or whatever it might be. It's great for people dealing with issues like lust. You say, Rick, what would, what would those people think if I showed up at Celebrate Recovery? I think they would think that you're very interested in participating in this other kind of life that Jesus talks about. I think that's what they would think. And they believe in that other kind of life, and they are, by the grace of God, living that other kind of life. And so you could show up in our chapel in the round, and that's the only people in that entrance of the building 
on Tuesday night at 6.30. Or you could call Pastor Mark Petritus, Mark Petritus, and talk to him about potentially participating in Celebrate Recovery. But there is power at your fingertips to live the life that Jesus calls you to. So I want us to stand, okay? Kyle's going to come. We're going to sing together. And before we do, let me just kind of make a very broad invitation to you, okay? So if this morning something that was said in the sermon um, or that you read in God's Word has really gotten a hold of your heart, I invite you to come and pray about that today. It may be that you're here as a family and you're going through some challenging times. I want you to feel free to come and pray about that. Maybe as an individual you're going through a difficult situation and you want to pray. Feel free to come. Maybe you need physical healing this morning. There'll be pastors on each side of the altar and they're here and they're ready and they're available to pray with you. If you want to become a Christ follower this morning, if you want to be forgiven of your sins, if you're saying, I really want Jesus to transform my life, I want to become a Christian, you can do that here this morning. So let's pray this prayer together, okay? And if you want to come here and pray, you're welcome to do that.
So now to him who is able to do more, more, more than we would ever ask or even begin to imagine, according to his power that is at work in you, be glory and honor forever. God bless you. You have been listening to a message from Bethany First Church of the Nazarene. Visit us online at bethanynaz.org.